This show is brought to you in association with football charity, Football Aid. It's a charity very close to my heart and raises monies for diabetes charities. I'm on the board and at the moment we are running um, a special donation campaign. The campaign basically is to raise extra monies for Football Aid and obviously what's a very difficult time for a variety of charities in the UK and around the world. And the idea is to donate £10 by texting FOOTY, that's F-O-O-T-Y, to the text number 70085. That's texting FOOTY to 70085 to support a fantastic charity. I hope you will do. And this is only obviously for UK um, listeners. Thanks in advance. Welcome everybody um, to to um, I'm not sure what we called this in the end. Sports chat, whatever, whatever we whatever we called it. Welcome to it. <laughs> um, but yeah, Essen and I, and um, yeah, a few weeks ago, as, as mentioned, were sort of very keen just to try and try out this platform a bit, um, which has been great. I've I've joined in lots of different um, conversations um, and just listened to lots. And what we wanted to try and do was to reiterate, you know, having those pretty um pretty straightforward conversations where we cut through a lot of the the jargon is the truth and um s recommended that um you know on the on the brand and partnership side that it would be great to have um amiel and kasim join um s do you want to just briefly give a bit of background for for both of them and um and then we can start digging into a, a few of the questions yeah, cool, perfect. Yeah, so Kasim works at ATG, who rep Alfonso Davis. So Kasim works on Alfonso Davis's brand commercialization, kind of everything from social through to um, frontline media that they, they work on. And then Emil, I know from a few years back when he was working at Arsenal um, and the partnerships team, and we worked on a few partnership campaigns together. And I, I love Emil's kind of like ethos and the way that he he wants to do things from a club or competition perspective and now he's working at FIFA so on all their World Cup and from males to females to all their other FIFA competitions that they work on and I hope I've probably given a brief synopsis into what these guys do but there's so much to talk about from like an athlete side with myself and Kasim but also from like a club side with through Emil's um, background and then Dan can obviously tie up a load of different knots in terms of how he's seen club partnerships from a legal perspective but also player partnerships like the amount of player contracts that Dan stands for like a commercial side so that's I guess a bit of a intro into everyone in the room but I guess we could kick off right Dan yeah definitely like I, I'll leave it to us because I think we've got some great questions to, to start with but I think ultimately I you think know, Dan's you... on mute he's forgot so, <laughs> sorry I started speaking for a good 10 seconds <laughs> Um, yeah, I think ultimately, um, you, you know, S, you're the you're the commercial um, side expert. I think it'd be great just for you to lead in on some of those questions that we talked about um, up front with um, Emil and Kasim, just to just to sort of um, almost centre the conversation is the truth. Because I think you know I, I don't want to go on too much, but I'm almost like there is so much stuff out there about our oh, brand partnerships and got to get great partners and um athletes have got to have a you know full 360 of loads of different approaches and and the brands don't know what they're doing and all of this type of stuff and i almost want to sort of get beyond all of the 
the the high level stuff and and talk about which I know we're going to do um, the stories, the intricacies, the nuances of things, the detail, and and I think that's really important just to get into some of the nuts and bolts of stuff and 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 that's almost in a in a way the the point of a lot of these conversations wasn't it, Essen really. Yeah, no, exactly. I think the commercial space is something that so many people are now starting to talk about. In the past, I'd say two years, there seems to be a bit more of a pressure from players or the people around them to to do these things. But it's it's one thing saying it must be done is another thing being or saying you have to do the work to get there. And I don't think enough people probably understand that or want to do that so I think that's one part of the conversation but I think the other part is it's such a big market or industry that not everyone kind of either sees the value in it or sees how to balance things out so I think these topics that we've kind of outlined to talk today on probably will help kind of direct a conversation on opinion around that so I think to kick start it I guess Emil to you like what does a successful brand partnership look like to you you've obviously worked at channel four you've worked at arsenal you work now at fifa and you have that experience from um the entity that is selling those rights i guess or those rights packages yeah thanks um thanks for the intro mate um yeah look it's it's about finding a right balance really because obviously um the objective from a lot of the departments there's a commercial objective so there's an objective to generate revenue um but I guess ultimately what you're trying to do is find this balance of generating revenue, but also finding brands that kind of reaffirm or amplify your values and whatever you are, if you're a club, um, actually, even you mentioned channel four, it's quite that even going back to channel four, channel four have a very clear identity. You know, they have a very clear remit in regards to what they're meant to be doing. They're meant to be um, speaking for minorities and kind of disrupting the broadcast space. Um, and so there are certain brands that are just conducive to that environment. When I was at Arsenal, I think Arsenal is a quite unique club in that it has like a very clear identity in regards of being traditional and acting with class. Um, it's obviously a club which has quite a multicultural fan base. And so there are very clear uh, identity and values. And so... Uh, Working there, the objective obviously is to generate revenue, but also how can we bring in brands that are going to align well and resonate with with that identity? So, I mean, that's I mean, that's the challenge, really. And so, um, I think you find that whether you're at a club or whether you're working with a player, um, that's ultimately that's where the pressure comes from, isn't it? Because ultimately, you're still trying to generate revenue. Um, yeah, no, I think the points around the values will come on to in a bit because I think to me they're so super important. I think the stuff that you said around Arsenal is is spot on. I think people that have a vision and direction, they're the ones that are looking for that value alignment or that mutual benefit beyond just a commercial value, right? So if yeah. if I was to look at what's a successful brand partnership to me, it's always that mutual benefit. What's the goal that both entities have to, to drive towards I guess, a better world or a change? Yeah, so I mean, I think it's kind of, look, there's three there's three areas really, aren't there? If you're doing one of these brand partnerships, first of all, what's the commercial benefit? So what's the commercial benefit to myself, the right, right holder, which would be a investment fee or a sponsorship fee? What's the commercial benefit to the brand? How is that brand going to eventually, eventually generate revenue? And what's the ROI from doing a partnership? That is can be very difficult to prove, but obviously there has to be that there for the brand to want to do it. 
then it's kind of what's the benefit in regards to brand affinity and that's not just for the ip holder that's for not just for the brand itself but also the ip holder so a lot of the clubs and i would say this to people at arsenal um the brands who is sponsoring us they're not just leveraging our ip we're leveraging their ip and this is something that kind of the clubs need to kind of like get their heads around because ultimately we're trying to extract value from them as well so there's a mutual thing there and then the third thing is what's the fan benefit so i think it's something that, that gets overlooked quite a lot with these partnerships but but i know i'm a football fan and actually i would get emails or messages about sponsorships and i didn't care like why, why would i because i'm concentrating on the games and the results and these types of things but if there's a brand partnership or a sponsorship where actually there is something tangible for me as a fan I'm interested and I want to know what that is and so what are what are the benefits to the fan as you mentioned then what are the wider benefits that we are doing in regards to promoting positive societal messages so I mean those are the types of areas you really want to focus on yeah that's no, so true Kasim I guess for you what do you look at being um, a successful I, brand partnership you guys have touched on a lot of the points and the, like especially for example you enter a partnership and like you're saying you want both parties to benefit and there has to be kind of a mutual gain between both people um whether it's the athlete and the brand or the club and the brand but for me like i think that's important is your values have to be aligned um you have to work with the like you're, you're more likely to have a successful brand campaign and a brand partnership if both parties values align and to me a good brand partnership and a successful brand partnership it's 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 not it shouldn't be hard exhausting work um the synergies between both parties should be strong and the co- collaboration should be good and it's a partnership where you have ideas flowing to the point where you have too many ideas and you have to narrow it down and it's creating that healthy working relationship between both people because yes there's the financial side where you want you know the company obviously to profit or hit their targets from working with your athlete but you also want to use that brand in a way to show the values of the person you're representing but you need to have a healthy relationship with them as well you don't want to work with a brand where you wake up every morning and you dread dealing with them or you have to do activations that for example your client doesn't want to do and they don't care for that brand um there has to be a passion between both parties and they have to enjoy doing it together um it it has to be fun and enjoyable because at the end of the day if you don't have a good experience with a brand partnership just dealing with whoever it is that you're dealing with no matter how big the brand is you're not going to want to go back because some things aren't worth the money the headaches you have to deal with sometimes and the obstacles that are always in front of you it's not worth the money you're getting to do it um and for us like you know we have one thing where we want to go to sleep every night peacefully and for us if we can find a brand that we're working with that we're dealing with that kind of ticks all those boxes then to us that's a successful brand partnership yeah it's interesting you said around the relationships right so for me like one of the biggest components is actually yeah we spoke about the values but number two is relationship like i'm not a big fan of dragging a brand through the conversation if you've got no intention of doing it there's others that i've seen from that experience where they'll say yeah yeah really up for doing this x y and z but you've put a hundred different roadblocks 
from getting the conversation going to signing a contract how how much do you actually want to do this there's that motivation side of things behind it which is okay if you want to do it do it for the right reasons you can quite quickly see if someone's doing it for the wrong reasons and it usually turns out to be money right let's not beat around the bush nine times out of ten if the money's looking great someone's gonna end up doing it but the issue always lies in that relationship which like you just said the brand come with great ideas you come with great ideas and then it's that mutual ground which you will kind of land on to be able to like put those together but those those type of relationships you're, you're not relying on a contract like we've done a couple recently where it's built off of mutual trust literally we had mutually agreed social posts we had mutually agreed press we had mutually agreed appearances those type of relationships are the ones that are so hard to find because somewhere along the line someone's going to mess up the relationship it's just the fact it always happens but and that's you don't the thing want too to is, relying on it and that's the thing too is Essen is when you have that good relationship with the, the brand you're dealing with and the person you're dealing with is when there's obstacles that arise you'll figure it out together and you're not worried about it um, you will problem solve together and you'll get it done but like you know I think we've all done deals where we worked with a brand and a company that maybe we shouldn't have and it was a bit of a struggle and you know it's constant headaches when issues arise and obstacles arise throughout the course of your your partnership especially you know we're dealing in a time now where you know everything is COVID controlled and there's obstacles guaranteed to happen every month because the world is changing every month and now if you have a relationship with someone and that relationship isn't a good one then it just makes it 10 times harder to accomplish what it is that you're both trying to accomplish and if you're both able to sit down at the table and come up with solutions it's only going to benefit both parties at the end of the day and their ROIs right yeah no that's so true I think we had the hand raised from the room from Anna so I'll kind of pass over the mic to him Hello. Firstly, um, I've been listening to this conversation for the last, what, five minutes, so I have joined a bit late, I think. Uh, it's been quite interesting, that, and I had an opinion, which is why I want to raise my hand. And Essen, I don't know if you remember, we actually briefly worked together way back when. So, yeah, it's quite interesting finding you on here. Um, completely agree with everything that's been said so far in terms of mainly the relationship, actually, in terms of having it having a partnership more than really a contract having said that though as a brand i think there were some points raised about how something was run purely in terms of a relationship and while i am all for it some of the most successful things that i've done whether that be with a sports personality or a celebrity in general has always been something that's been a purely relationship-based activity um but as a brand, um, it is quite important for us to also have some sort of a formal contract in place because of the nature of how all of these things work. So, yeah, the relationship important as it is, um, it's almost the basic the way I see it. You need to have a good relationship in place in order to do a good brand activity with uh, an athlete. I think if you do anything else, it does come across as not genuine immediately. I think fans are have a very, very fine-tuned bullshit meter. So they will pick that up immediately. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a great point, Anand, and um, you're preaching to the converted here in terms of um, needing to paper docu- uh, deals and to um, uh, put the right terms down. And, and you know, we've I've had a lot of experience, especially working with, with S and a lot of his clients, a lot of the brands that he's worked with around, around all of that. Um, and in this increasingly... Um, sort of commoditized digital world um having those types of nuanced conversations which then translate into accessible documents and 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 legal documents then becomes um can sometimes be good and sometimes can actually be very pretty challenging um is the truth from from my experience and um i think i think you're totally right and if i can just broaden the conversation out widely maybe to um to emil and to to kasim again and maybe essence it's for you to start with this to a degree is what I really thought was interesting about the conversation so far was what we what sounds like we've been talking about is value and values. And that's usually the two things that in my mind comes up a lot of the time when I'm helping on these type of deals. The value in terms of if the value of a deal is good enough, it obviously attracts a lot of attention and is an easy sell, especially for the talent side. Whereas I think sometimes for the people behind the talent, the values of the brand and the values of the relationship become um, a, a very important important part because obviously having that um, um, more seamless approach and frictionless approach and everybody going in the same direction is a lot easier I think and and maybe that's the point on to do with value and values alignment I'm just wondering whether you guys have some good examples bad examples experiences more generally about how that can work in a positive way and obviously when things sometimes fall down in a not so great way Um, yeah if you don't mind uh, me commenting. Um, look, I, I think it really depends about the team and the infrastructure that you're working with because, you know, we had some situations at Arsenal where there were certain brands or deals that we wanted to do that actually we felt the commercial value investment level wasn't at the level that was expected. However, in regards to the other two areas I've talked about, i.e. the brand benefit and also the fan benefit, actually we felt there was value there and so the example i'm actually talking about was with tidal which is a music streaming service and we had to i had a conversation with um actually with vinai and he was actually really accommodating he understood what we were trying to do which was looking at this beyond just purely the commercial value but actually saying look us us aligning with this music streaming service service is going to reflect well on the club it's going to reflect on the brand we can create content which is going to resonate um, with our with our fan base, we're going to offer the fans free access to this service. So, uh, and we ended up doing the deal, but obviously we had to, you know, um, we had to broaden our kind of our mindset and just not look at things in a very commercial way, but actually see what is the greater value from this partnership, and therefore we're able to do it. So, um, that's just one example I can think of where um, that was relevant. Yeah, no, and I appreciate you stepping up. And yeah, I do remember it was um, back in like 2020, Panasonic times. Um, yeah, when we were in better world situations, weren't we? Yeah, no, it's true. Um, no, I appreciate the question. I think the point that you made is is a valid point. I think Dan kind of like reiterated it that you do need a contract, right? So um, it's the mutual project. So if the mutual project is has values aligned values it has mutual benefits towards all of it so you you will drive the athlete to to want to do more so there's always that fine balance in in terms of 
taking a slight risk, but you kind of backing yourself as the brand. Yeah, our project is cool enough or good enough or strong enough for the athlete to continuously want to promote this this project. On the flip side, I've had an experience where the night before an event, I didn't know whether the guy was going to turn up or not. And I'm sitting there talking to the agent constantly. The agent's like, I'm so sorry. I, I just don't know. I can't get hold of him. Like, players can be flaky at the best of times, right? So the communication can be poor. We just didn't know. And I kind of, I think, Dan, I remember calling Johnny and saying to Johnny, listen, I've got a bit of an issue here. The, the service terms won't be met. So do I have the power to kind of say, look, if he's not going to turn up, he's not going to get paid. So having that, clause or having those service terms and kind of outlined x y and z they're bang on you need them and they i guess in that situation it kind of like saved my ass right but on the flip side when i've seen it work so well we've been able to kind of have mutually agreed things in terms of if and when the player wants to post they post but make the project cool enough like coming back to kasim's point that if the project is something that everyone wants to be working on and it is really and truly organic and authentic which let's be real everyone's going to say they are but 90 percent of the brand partnerships you see aren't because you're like well how how did that person and that brand end up together largely because of money but the ones that actually do make sense they're the ones that the athlete's going to want to promote the brand's going to want to promote that athlete they're the ones where you get those mutual benefits and i think emil coming back to like working with you that emil's biggest thing around one of the partnerships that we did for two four one was that mutual benefit he was able to sell that in the whole club was able to see the mutual benefit around it and bringing their brand into a different brand culture so there, there's pros and cons to everything right it's a it's a risk game but play your risk and play your cards based off of analysis of the people not of the the contract yeah i think that's a it's a really good one as well lesson I've, I've just brought in um uh, Simon Bailiff, um, the founder of um, a brilliant um, sports agency called Arete as well, who's worked with um, some fantastic talent over the years as well, and just wondered whether um, you had any you know thoughts on some of the, the stuff that we're, we're chatting with at the moment, Si. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. I just wanted to pick up, I guess, on partly one of Essen's points and partly one of yours. It's great to hear about how the partnerships work and when things go successfully. I wanted to share a story of how things could go very, very badly wrong in a partnership, uh, I guess just to highlight what you've all been saying. Uh, back in 97, uh, I was fortunate enough to work with David Beckham for kind of over 10 years, and we had a partnership in 97 with Brill Cream. Probably some of you may remember it on the call. The relationship, sadly, had gone it started off in a good place, but it slowly devolved and fell apart to the point where uh, for Brill Cream's largest activation, they'd put a huge amount of marketing spend behind doing their first ever TV commercial. Uh, David had fallen out of love with the brand for whatever reason. And uh, obviously it's all about it's the time when he had his long, long flowing hair at Manchester United. And... Uh, one of the points earlier, you're kind of waiting, you're nervous. He was, he was one of those guys that you were never sure if he was going to turn up or and what sort of form and mood he was going to turn up in. Uh, and he decided in the hour before he was due to turn up for this appearance that he'd go and shave his head uh, ahead of the uh, TV commercial with Brill Cream. As you can imagine, <laughs> he turned up. 
and it went down like a shit sandwich uh, and that pretty much there and then ended the relationship which I think is what he wanted um, but wanted to do it in his own way so just wanted to highlight when relationships and partnerships can go really badly wrong uh, and when athletes take it into their own hands to do that sometimes can be uncontrollable and cause um, some embarrassment it's a it's a really good one uh sign Th- no thanks for that and appreciate your honesty in um <laughs> giving a pretty live example i think um you know um in my experience as well and Essa be interested in your views on this as well only because it's it's happened a few times where you know in the end kasim from the the talent side amiel from obviously the the more on the um the the right side um is you know you need you need players you need talent that is going to be relatively reliable in the end and i know s that you're obviously working with talent and the guys generally working on different sides of the the fence is that you, you the first thing so i think s that you talked about was you're having to do the work and that's almost the thing that i think is really important for a lot of the the players that are doing all of the very 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 good brand stuff at the moment is they're not afraid on the whole of really putting the graft in as much as they're doing on the pitch as off the pitch and i wasn't sure as whether you had any thoughts on 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 that at all yeah no it was interesting simon's point i think some of us have probably been in that situation where you know the relationship's quite fractured between brand and talent for whatever reason right and nine times out of the ten it's an ego game so the talent will say I'm not doing this for this 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 reason which is fine but it's about managing that middle ground in terms of okay this isn't going to happen so can we try and find a solution so that old mentality of solutions not problems and I guess in Simon's case the solution was cut your hair because you're forcing someone's hand right we've we've been in that situation like a few times as well where talent don't want to do something but when it comes to comes to the other side of it, which is them wanting to do something. I mean, I remember the Louis Vuitton fashion show in Paris when Hector walked it. Um, it was quite it was a bit of a culture shock to both me and him, which was the call time was eight AM but the show wasn't until three PM and you're sitting in this room for God knows how many hours and it's that person understood the situation, he just went, Look, this is obviously my world, this is how it goes. I went and got my laptop for him. We just sat there watching Netflix. And then it was a case of, right, okay, cool. That person's now sorted. But the same way, like with Kasim, we've worked with you guys, with Alfonso and a couple of things. And having the talent that is professional, turns out, knows how to do things when they're in the mood. So they're, they're, one, they've obviously got to be in the mood. They've got to be too motivated to do it. And three, the, brand, the synergies have to be aligned. And I think Kasim, when we've done like the Konami stuff and that, bits and pieces Alfonso's been in top form because he obviously wants to do these he understands the values right one thing with Alfonso is he loves the camera he loves being in front of the camera so you tell him he has a photo shoot or a media day or a marketing day he'll be there on time and he'll knock it out the park and that's one thing that we try to do is you know we we like to do partnerships right now that we know that he's going to wake up and he's going to be eager to do um, like we did uh, a a partnership with TikTok and the zone launching their football hub on TikTok. And it was great because, you know, as and you were saying how you had an experience where you weren't sure if an athlete was going to show up to an event once and you were freaking out. And, you know, when we did that deal with the zone, um, it was great because we had no stress because you know that Alfonso is going to wake up and he has to make four TikToks over the span of a month. And, if you follow him on TikTok, he makes TikToks basically every other day. 
Um, and yeah, he shows up. He's very professional and he gets it done. And I think any any shoot we've done so far, um, it's always that, that's always been the case where you know talent shows up and they're disciplined and they're there on time. And it's very important. Again, like this goes back to values and it goes back to doing partnerships that you're actually interested in doing and when you do those things you don't have to worry about um the stressors of them not fulfilling their obligations and their their contractual obligations and making their appearances um and yeah that's something that you know we always try to find um for him so yeah cool now i'll just um Benson just put his hand up. So for those of you who don't know, Benson's the guy at Twitter, if anything sports related. So he's helped us out on a load of different campaigns and he was the genius behind the hash flag for Twitter's um, Hector's Unseen January documentary. So Benson, over to you. Yeah, um, I just pretty much, um, first of all, I love these sessions. Um, last week was awesome. So um, I just wanted to pose a question to you guys. Um, specifically about athletes because there seems to be like a disparity between brands with the KPIs of some of these sponsorships. So usually with some of the larger brands, ultimately they want to align with the player to basically kind of change their perception and change their tone of voice. But smaller companies that are paying the fee, they're looking for more digital, like tangible results as far as clicks to websites, sales. Um, in those situations with the smaller companies where those KPIs aren't met, how how do you almost compensate to kind of protect that protect that fee that's coming in and to potentially renew it? Cool, no, that, that's a great question. I think, I mean, well, feel free to jump in as well because you, you deal with a lot of these KPI-driven um, campaigns, but yeah, I'll let you jump in first and I'll, I'll answer. No, no, I was just going to say, look, I mean, I guess with the clubs where I think we're, we're looking to and to have relationships now where that isn't defined in terms that is rather than we're going to deliver this many impressions or this is your reach, it's more of a case of this is the content we're going to create, this is the narrative we're going to create and this is the channels we're going to put it out on. This is the reach that we have but we're trying to move away from having very defined like you are going to get this, this and this because really ultimately what does that mean? It's kind of engagement is more important anyway and I just think as, as you say there are some brands that are kind of have very like um, defined KPIs in regards to what they want to deliver I'm like if you want amplification you can go you, you can go buy um, ads and impressions elsewhere it's just it's it doesn't really work in that way anymore I think we're trying well the clubs and the rights holders are trying to move away from that type of dynamic where it's like you get this many posts you get this many impressions etc so but I understand your point it can be um, it can be quite difficult when a brand is kind of like, yeah, this is what we are delivered and um, this is what we're expected and it's not always the best way to kind of, I think, deliver a campaign. And you yeah, know, I'll just jump in real quick, sorry, is that I think the, like, I think brands are starting to realize too that focus is shifting from, let's say, we want this many impressions and this many clicks to our website to realizing that that's not possible if the content isn't good. And I'm noticing a shift yeah. from it being we want to hit these numbers on social medias if we do a sponsored post to saying we're not going to hit these numbers if the content isn't good. And I think that's an important part because 
you you can't guarantee I can't guarantee a company that Alfonso is going to get you four million impressions and sixteen uh, percent engagement guaranteed because if you if we create some shit content we're not even going to get a quarter of that so it's like we can't worry about the numbers we have to worry about the product and if the product you're putting out there is good and the content you're putting out there is good and it's unique and it's creative and it's engaging then you'll get your impressions and then you'll get your engagement so i don't like promising things for number wise especially on social media because it's not possible unless you have good content and once you start promising numbers and the content they give you or you create together isn't great then you're going to have two parties that are disappointed yeah and i think to add to that and in answer to your point benson there, there's two plays when you come and do a partnership within like the sports space right play number one is you obviously want to promote yourself and ex- build exposure and then point two is you want to align with people that have shared values or shared visions or sh- shared storytelling now if you look at some of the best campaigns right so Ramola with LeBron James, it was a story to telling Pete. What they're enticing you in with is the story, immersing you in with how LeBron is using Ramola. Same way of Calm have done with um, LeBron as well. So I know I've just used like the same athlete with two examples, but th- those two campaigns really struck a chord with me, which was this is purely about emotion. This is purely about storytelling. Then use your paid media budgets to amplify that story. Use, use route number one, which is paid media, to hit your impressions. Because five years ago, paid media wasn't such a strong kind of emphasis within marketing or like businesses. So use your athlete to tell your story because that's what you're coming into the athlete or the club space to do is tell stories, create narratives, create culture, immerse people within your ecosystem by using that talent or that that um that club's um, fan base to draw them into you but through a story and then hit them back with paid media once you've got your social pixels on your website you're doing the right kind of digital marketing methods to then follow that up with paid media like ben, like Benson we, we saw that with uh, Hector's um, documentary the the work that you did with us allowed us to be able to kind of amplify that story and be able to tell that story that we didn't come into it by going to Benson we really need to hit this number it was just about we need to immerse people within this storyline and immerse people within this and then paid media will do its job because that's ultimately what paid media is there to do so getting I guess too focused on numbers or whatever like that that that's not gonna you're coming in with the wrong intentions and this isn't a sales pitch for like using an agency or whatever but that's where agencies help if if you go to an agency that has done plenty of these campaigns before they will give you the right advice we literally just did that with StockX. We went for a whole process and we started to kind of educate them and show them the right right path. And it saved them probably like over a million pounds because they didn't go and do a partnership with something that their, their objective was one thing. The club can't deliver that objective. So why do a deal when from the get-go have that honest conversation, that hard conversation? What are your objectives? What are your KPIs? Too, too often people would be too gung-ho on putting a partnership together and then afterwards they worry about the objectives well it's a bit too late then isn't it Benson can I just ask Daniel here just a quick point on what Essen said then is because actually it might be that a lot of people don't know perhaps what goes on um, 
with like a collaboration in a way between you know yourselves and Essen and Hector's documentary what what conversation as much as you're able to say were you having with Essen about how to do things right to be able to amplify on that on that Hector documentary um the first thing was just about understanding the asset that he had um and when Essen told me that there was a documentary that they literally put two to three years work into um and that it wasn't really restricted to a specific platform. At that point, I knew exactly um, the several things that we could do in order to kind of not only amplify the viewership of it, but also focus on starting a conversation around the topic because that's what Twitter exists for in comparison to the likes of Insta. Instagram's about aspiration, but Twitter is about like owning your reality and just being able to kind of share what is happening in real world. I mean, uh, when you join Twitter, the first thing we ask you is what's happening. And that's about you just kind of owning your truth. And with that, um, in just kind of understanding what Hector went through, um, I then looked at what narrative I could kind of use to either start a conversation or things on our back end that we could kind of associate with this to be able to take it to the next level. So the one thing we didn't get to do, which I would have really liked was um, the Q&A, but it was achieved anyway once we started doing the first live stream because there was such huge engagement in real time happening while the stream was happening and Hector was just there responding to all of these tweets that were coming and that's one of the best things about an activation on Twitter is the actual athlete responding and having that tone of voice because as you know, in most instances, agencies are writing on their behalf they're sending them the tweet and then they're posting it and that authenticity that Hector provided was what made it so valuable um, during that during the activation so um, it was truly the definition of a partnership because um, Essen already had an asset and I was just basically adding what we could to make that asset work as effectively on Twitter because it was going to do a different thing on YouTube as well as Instagram and Facebook so I did what I needed to do for it to go above and beyond and perform on Twitter the way things perform on Twitter No thanks for that Benson and um, I think it's just really interesting insight because I think some of the time is people might not be aware of what the, the platforms are actually doing to be able to amplify content or messaging or whatever else it might be that you know you're actually acting in partnership with um in order to, to benefit everyone really i guess is the, is the ultimate aim yeah I, I think just to also add um and if i can just be very transparent in comparison to the us when it comes to like a mere athletes there aren't really that many athletes that are going out their way to produce their own content and that's why i love kind of working within uh, be engaged as well as hector because you can see everything he's doing, especially with the um, the sponsorship of the Forest Rovers. Like, he's doing things the way that American athletes perform. When I used to kind of work with a couple of NBA guys, it was always like, what can we do now? What we could do next? And it was about owning their identity and just trying to expand it. Whereas here, it, it doesn't feel, I think, it just feels like a lot of athletes are just looking for endorsements to then be able to kind of activate their brand but i think at that point it's too late like you need to kind of invest the time to build the tone of voice um especially if there's something you like doing outside of football um if there's an interest whether it's gaming fashion um 
archery, for example, if you're um, like one of my favorites is um, Paul George. Um, he loves fishing, and that's how he kind of takes his mind off things. And as a professional NBA player, to see him go fishing is just now a huge opportunity for him to kind of tap into that audience of people who go fishing, and even welcoming a new audience of people from his demographic, um, so black people looking at fishing as a sport or as a form of like relaxation and therapy. So, um, yeah. Uh, it's interesting points that you make there, Benton, like Kasim with Alfonso, um, how do you guys, I guess, manage or help, help him in that direction? So he's obviously got multiple amount of different um, like personality traits, but also like his interests go far and wide, right? So how do you, I guess, narrow that down and kind of give it a bit of focus? Yeah, um, that's a good question, Essen. And you know what? I'll be honest. The thing with Alfonso, um, especially when it comes to him creating content on social media, we don't we don't put restrictions on him too much. Um, what we do is like we tell him again, like we talked about earlier. Certain times you got to be careful when you're posting. Other times you can go go nuts and create your content because one thing I've realized with Alfonso is that people love his authenticity. They love that he is just a 20-year-old guy, um, has a crazy story, and he's very personable. And what you see is what you get with Alfonso. And we kind of go out, of, not go out of our way, but we make sure that we don't tie into chains and tell him, you can't do this or you can't do that. Honestly, I tell Alfonso, like, you want to make TikToks? Like, go ahead. Like, we have no issues. Like, if you think something is entertaining and you think something is funny, go ahead and do it. Um, because we don't want to limit his creative freedom because we want him to be creative and we want him to be inventive. Um, we want him to showcase his ideas. And people see it. And, okay, sometimes he'll post stuff and I'll, I'll scratch my head and I'll think, like, why? That's kind of stupid. But... At the end of the day, we were all 20 years old once, and we all posted stupid shit on the internet. And he's no different than any other 20-year-old person where he will post good content, and he'll post content that five years down the road, he'll look back and he'll scratch his head. Um, But we don't do a whole lot, I guess, in restrictions. We do try to tell them, like, you know, when you're doing things with um, Jordan, for example, like, don't overdo it um one thing we always say is that you know you're in a relationship and it's sometimes it's tough to mix relationship and business together because then your relationship isn't about love and like loving each other it becomes more of a a money type relationship and it's not healthy um so then we kind of just narrow this focus down to just saying you know online just focus on yourself focus on you showcase who you are as a person and you know everything will come together at the end of the day yeah and no, i think i don't want to digress away from that what the topic of this room was but it's it's bang on in terms of seeing like working with you guys over the past year and seeing like your mentality towards things is very north american like i always say like the states is five six seven years ahead of us here in europe in europe the mentality is always kind of oh no shit like try to protect it try to do this like people think us as an agency or like the people that we work with we're too far out there and it's unless you try to push boundaries 
markets don't involve people don't involve and kind of industries don't involve right but it's always so cool to like hear your approach to things because you guys are based in north america you guys are competing and comparing against like nba stars and nfl stars and they were the first ones to really kind of like bring this whole athletes are here more than an athlete i guess that's yeah that's right and that's the thing is, is like um you know north american athletes like nba stars their personalities are a lot different than you know a football player um and that's kind of what we're up against here is that you know not only are we competing against you know the stars of the football world but we're also competing against the stars of the nba world and the nfl world nfl world and even the nhl world here in canada which is a huge market so we're up against a lot of different obstacles and factors and we don't like there's no need to overcomplicate things sometimes like it's pretty straightforward and you know Alfonso's such a a fun guy you could say and people like him for who he is and here in North America too is you you need to showcase your personality as well to brands because that's what they want to see they really care about um your values and your personality and what you're passionate about and you know are are you able to create your own content in a fun way that's different and unique and the north american marketing um space it's a very unique it's very out there too at times and we need to showcase that in our athletes and even io right and io akinolo plays for Toronto FC. he's night and day in comparison to alfonso because alfonso's this kid that he loves the cameras he loves to be on social media he loves creating content he he he's not a reserved person um, he puts himself out there for the whole world to see while io is the complete opposite and um so it, it makes for an interesting i guess challenge working with the both of them because you know we're used to having alfonso and we've been working with alfonso for a very long time but um yeah yeah and no, i think on those points on how to sell out we'll kind of come back to that but um joe raised his hand so i'll kind of hand over to you joe to ask you a question yeah, listen, thanks, thanks for the opportunity of calling in from uh, sunny California. And I wanted to also give a quick shout out to Kasim, who's a former colleague at the Vancouver White House. I've, uh, I've enjoyed the conversation so far this morning. Um, and uh, I know on the stage we have representation from uh, club, from rights holders uh, in, in Arsenal, and then also in, in talent on the athlete side. And my question is if anybody could comment perhaps from the perspective of a brand, um, the decision-making process or or the strategy in determining, uh, you know, investing in an athlete versus a client or, you know, uh, rights. There's nobody who can kind of comment uh, from the brand's perspective, perhaps suggesting, you know, um, from an athlete uh, representation standpoint or from a club looking to to acquire uh, sponsorship investment, you know, what's what's your differentiator, what's your sell point in saying, you know, put your put your market investment in, in this uh, vehicle as opposed to the other. So just overall comments on the pros and cons between individual athlete and general rights uh, market relationships. So yeah, no, I, appreciate, I appreciate that um, question there, Joe. It's actually one of the topics that we had kind of coming up later on, but I'll kind of address this now. So from a brand perspective, I can talk on that, which is, yeah, we work with talent, but actually 95% of our business is working with brands and putting partnerships together, whether it's athletes or clubs or campaigns within the sports market. And I think the first thing that we always look at is like a shared value model, which is, okay, 
these are the things that you as a brand stand for. These are your objectives from a business point of view, marketing point of view, and now specifically as a sports marketing point of view. When we're looking at all of those three different objectives, let's start to align what type of narrative we want to be creating within a sports marketing campaign, whether that's through partnerships or just solely directly to consumer without any partners involved. And when we're looking at clubs or players, we are looking at which clubs or players talk the same language. They're talking the same values. They have the same ethoses. Now, that's just one approach. There's a multiple amount of different approaches that I'm sure like Emil, Benson or Kasim could talk about, right? But when I'm looking at it from my experience, I'll give you um, like a very recent experience. Um, the brand wanted to come into football. They're a fashion brand. So naturally, you are looking at clubs or players that are authentic in that market they've spent the time to build their brand or their name within that market because at the moment this comes back to my point in terms of people have have to have the like willingness to put time in within that market to build a space you can't just be like as an athlete oh, i'm interested in fashion okay cool do you want to do any media interviews no do you want to do this no well, that's pointless right so you, those that have organically put their time in towards that market you know they're the passionate ones about it so as a fashion brand you can be like right okay this club is speaking the same language because their their audience their demographics are the people that we want to be speaking to or this athlete speaks the same language as us because the things that he's saying in the press or the media or things that she is doing out on the ground within the community up she he or she is building their brand their self-brand within that space they're the ones that you can start to really identify as a brand okay they're the people that you want to be working with and they're the ones that will say no to other brands they're the ones that will say no to campaigns that do not fit or align with them like as you can imagine working with four players at the moment that are massively active within the fashion market we get a whole host of different brands coming all the time but doesn't mean you go and do every single one of them so th those those talents they're the ones that make it difficult for brands to work with them because they really challenge brands to do better to do more to do the right thing that really makes those projects i guess authentic and valuable to to that space um i mean i'll, I'll kind of let you talk about it as well because obviously you've got so much experience on on that side yeah it's an interesting point look i, I mean i think i mean ultimately if you're looking for an asset even if you're looking for a club i mean what is the um, the the conduit for your messaging is often the players and the talent so even when you're looking at a club you might look at a club like arsenal because you like the identities but also you're hoping that hector or messer or or not messer now but or over is going to be part of that campaign so the players themselves uh, are such a strong part of that that sell i think doing individual kind of um player deals it's um, when you have individuals like Alfonso and you have individuals like Hector who have a very distinct tone of voice and very clear value values. If you are aligned with that, that's where I think the most value is for a brand. Um, but I think even the brands that are aligning with clubs ultimately it's the talent that they want. And actually, it's something that I'm finding at FIFA now, and with we are finding partners for the World well, Cup, and obviously. Um, there's a huge reach and value associated with that and brands want that exposure. One thing that we don't have that the clubs have is talent. So when I do a campaign and let's say I have somebody come and sponsor the World Cup, unlike being when I was at Arsenal, I can say, oh, this campaign is going to happen. We're going to have these players. We don't have that at the moment at FIFA. And so that's kind of 
um, something which I'm trying to actually work on at the moment. And how can we actually leverage all these different kind of icons from around the world? Because ultimately, that's what the brand wants. They want a representative. They want a person, a voice, someone human to kind of, um, um, you know, sell the story. Essen, can I just ask a quick point on there, and it might be just for Essen and then um, Kasim, and then I've, I've seen that Miles has joined, and we'll, we'll definitely get to Miles and Benson again in a, in, in a sec. Is and maybe I'm asking a slightly controversial question, or not too controversial, but um, controversial as I get probably, which is, um, are we talking like people like Hector and Alfonso are really the big outliers and exceptions to the rules generally, like? I know we're talking about like how footballers and athletes generally are looking to get brand and partnership deals and all the rest of it. But in my experience, the vast majority of players are lucky to get a boot deal, never mind do all of the other stuff. So are we saying that actually there is only a vast minority of very switched on players that have been educated at a very young age or understand the rules of the game, basically, that are willing to have, do the work and invest that time to see the value in the longer term? Or do we think that that pool is now growing a little bit so that almost Hector and Alfonso are the outliers, but then the, the outliers become the, the, the centre ground at some point in the future when others see how things need to be done in a slightly different way? I think in in the shortest way possible they are the outliers but the whole concept of the outliers is they paved the way so if you look at it from a generational point of view um alfonso's generation are the ones that are the self content creators in a way right so they're the ones that are happy to do things down the lens hector's generation which you can put kind of the people like alex oxley chamberlain into it um belly into it they're the ones that understand the power of social media they understand the power that you can put towards engaging with an audience so they were the ones that first put themselves out there to kind of pave the way for the people like the alfonso's the Jaden sancho's of this world that now embrace social media and kind of aren't too afraid of it i think that generation that's kind of 23 to 26 at the moment they were the generation that you were either scared of it or you kind of embraced it and took on the challenge of it and I think ultimately they, they're now reaping the rewards off of it because they stay true to an identity. I don't think if you come into this whole space of the mentality of I want to make money from this, you're going to you're going to flop and fail very quickly. Like the amount of times we speak to people and the first question is, oh, which brands are you going to talk to? My question back to you is how many hours are you going to put into this? Because it's not going to happen otherwise. And I think, Kasim, um, I'll kind of let you answer on that. And, I want to come back to Joe's point with uh, Miles Jacobson, who will be able to answer from like a brand pers- uh, perspective on how they come into the, the football market. But yeah, over to you, Kasim. Yeah. First, Joe, just want to say hi. Um, I worked with Joe. It was back in 2018 uh, when I was at the Whitecaps as an intern. And Joe, he was at the Whitecaps at the time. He saw, he, Joe, you probably saw Alfonso when he was 14 years old, just coming to the Whitecaps, signing his first, first professional contract. So nice to see you again and chat with you. Um, and yeah, so you know, it's it's a good topic because you're right. It's in the sense they may seem like outliers, but for example, Alfonso's generation is the generation of of players, and you know they were they grew up in the technological era where social media it's normal, um, and I think we'll start seeing that with a lot of young players, um, and it's like you know. Nowadays, you have the likes of the Hectors, the Paul Pogba's, the Jesse Lingard's, Alfonso's. And before, you had the generations of Roy Keynes, who would never in a million years 
do this type of stuff. And now even Roy Keane is on social media. And I think before there was a fear of players being too active on social media, especially in that generation, Essen, where you're talking about the Hectors and the Oxley Chamberlains and even the Paul Pogba's. Because at that time, there's still kind of like the stigma around social media it being a bad, distracting thing. But I feel like clubs themselves are easing up on social media restrictions because they are now seeing the value of social media and social media has increased. The importance of social media has increased so much, not just in the last four years, but just even in the last 12 months with COVID that they're realizing it's such a huge asset that you almost need players, young guys like the Hollands and the Sanchos and the Alfonso's that are good with it, that know how to use it and how to hit its potential. And I think we'll start seeing more players like the Alfonso's and the Hectors and, and the Paul Pogba's where it's not so much like, oh, wow, he was on social media three hours before a game or he posted a picture the night before a game because it's normalized now. And it's become such a big part of the footballing industry that you almost can't put too much restrictions on social media and how players engage with social media because there's a huge financial gain to it for clubs, for brands, for sponsors, for club partners that it's almost necessary now because a lot of activations are being done on social media. So you need people that are outliers, I guess you could say, if you want to maximize club partnerships through your athletes even as well, right? So, um, and I think we'll, we'll start seeing a big change in that side of the industry, not just in this generation of upcoming footballers, but in the next five years and 10 years. And it's pretty crazy to think how far social media influence has changed in sport in the last three years. And, you know, it makes you wonder, like, where are we going to be five years from now? Yeah, and no, I think second, all great points. I think second back to Joe's initial question, I think, Miles, if you weren't able to hear it, uh, Joe was just kind of intrigued to see how, from a brand perspective, you guys land on the athletes or the clubs that you want to be working with. I think full managers are a great kind of example of that. So I'll hand over to Miles and then maybe to Mark as well, who has a few um, experiences in doing shared deals at clubs. I mean, you know, when it comes to football manager, we've always tried to do things from a credibility standpoint. So we don't go out there and find the hottest talent and sign them up to what we do. And for for many, many years, we didn't work with any athletes on paid campaigns at all. I mean, when we were with IDOS, they brought in a couple of managers. So they, they brought in Harry Redknapp at one point, and um, I think Glenn Hoddle might have done something as well. But since we've been in control of the brand with, with Football Manager, it's had to feel real. It's had to be um, something that makes sense. So we have a lot of footballers who alpha test our game and beta test our game, and we ask them not to talk about it on social media at that point when they first get it. And then just turn around and go, okay, you can talk about it now. And those people who don't have deals with the bigger companies go and do that naturally. Um, so we had Antoine Griezmann live streaming the game, which cost us nothing. But then there are other points where we really need the talent to get a story across. So a great example of that was actually working with, with Hector um, when, um, when we changed our packaging and moved all of our packaging into being eco-friendly packaging. 
how do we get that story out to the masses that we've done this and the only person that was worth talking to on that was Hector and me and Hector just sat on a sofa and had a chat for 10 minutes and we put the whole thing out there um, actually in, at, at SN's office um, but when we're trying to target a younger audience it's clear that we do have to do things like this um, we recently did a video um, with Kingsley Coman where you had to, the, the whole point of the, the trailer was you were making a choice between signing Kingsley Coman and signing a South Korean wonder kid. And which, which would you do? And in the trailer, chose the South Korean wonder kid. And it actually turned out that it was Kingsley Coman playing the game, chose the South Korean wonder kid rather than himself. Um, but then throughout the years, we've also used um, used talent inside the studio and outside the studio from a credibility perspective. So, um, and also a learning perspective. As an example of that, just today, I interviewed uh, Mike Rigg, um, who's technical director at Burnley, used to be at Man City, used to be at QPR, for an internal only session, where basically I'm asking him questions about his career that end up being tailored towards some features that we're working on for the game in the future to try and get all of that knowledge out. Um, and we also do uh, pieces with a lot of the clubs that we work with. Um, at the moment, we're working with Leicester, we're working with Southampton, we're working with Brighton, we're working with Watford, we work with AFC Wimbledon, where we will sit down with some of the talent at that club or... Um, or the management teams at that club and interview them from the kind of questions that a football manager player is going to be interested in hearing about. So we can go a lot more deeper and um, and get the, the brand values of football manager of being the most in-depth football management game on, on the market um, and trying to educate our consumers that way. What we're not interested in is slapping someone on the front cover of the game, um, because that that's needed. Um, I understand why other games do it, and they, they do it to try and capture um, to try and capture the attention of people. Um, but we we just use it in in different ways to that. I, I don't get the the value of just slapping someone on the front of the box. Yeah, no, that, that's the way that football manager do it is very kind of like unique and organic to yourselves. Right? I guess you always use it for that next stage of development rather than mass marketing campaigns to drive people into purchase. You want people to purchase because the game is the, what it is. I think it's been I think it's been brilliant. Um, as always, it's it's great that we go off on um, positive tangents. Is the truth and 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 firstly, it's um, a big thank you to us for um, bringing um, Amil and Kasim in, as well as obviously Joe and Miles and Derek and and Mark and others. It's been it's been fantastic, and I think what we're going to have to think about is um, some plenty more topics because obviously the, the there's there's demand to hear this type of stuff, and so long as we get the right people to be able to talk about it, and it's been brilliant that the format for the, this is that you know the right people are listening in and then can offer their their excellent insights so we can have a bit of a thought about the next time but for the for the time being um
guys thanks everybody for for joining this clubhouse we're going to market obviously some ideas for the for the next one and hopefully we can do it in the same time um next week thanks for listening you can follow me on twitter tiktok and instagram at football law read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website danielg.com forward slash blogs please do subscribe to the Dundee football podcast like share and tag me if you like the content if not my voice you'll probably also like my book Dundee an insider's guide to football contracts multi-million pound transfers and premier league big business a bit of a mouthful it's available to buy in hard copy digitally and via audible all links are in the podcast show notes lastly podcast is powered by 13 which is a fashion brand i've started all proceeds go towards cancer charity research and particularly the stellar work done by john Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years you can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt hoodie cap or all three please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk that's 13shop.co.uk Thanks for listening.